Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we continue our study here. Remember what Moses is doing. He's giving his his uh, discourse, so to speak. Uh, the uh, uh, final words. Uh, he's about ready to die. Uh, but final words for this next generation, the second generation, uh, the second census. Remember our study in Numbers, the second census that's passing to the promised land. We begin our study here in chapter 6, verse 1, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And he says, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them. Notice there's several things happening here. Just as we looked at in previous chapters, how you know the, the, the word is taught, the command is taught, the commandments are taught, the statutes are taught. But now there's the additive and it requires obedience. You see, it's an Old Testament example of what we read as New Covenant believers to be hearers and doers of the word. To not be hearers only, but to also be doers of the word. And also, it's an Old Testament example of another New Covenant teaching we have, which is faith without works is dead. Now, I'm in no way, shape, or form am I advocating the law. Listen to our study through Galatians. I mean, it just so happens that we're in Galatians. And when you listen to our study in Galatians, especially the, you know, introduction, uh, uh, first, uh, or, uh, uh, Galatians chapter one, chapter two, and we're in our study in Galatians, but it's very important when we look at these passages in the law to not be seduced to do the works of the law, but to understand that the law points to Jesus Christ and it's in him which we abide. And remember the Lord himself, our Lord, he says, abide in me, no period. Abide in me and I in you. It's much deeper than just, you know, a religious observation or religious observing of rules and statutes and teachings. It's much, much deeper because it's relationship. Your personal love relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet this same concept is being taught as a foreshadowing of the one to come. And I speak of Jesus Christ. But yet these commands were taught. And he says here still in verse 1 that you may that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. Remember, this is a future generation that's crossing over into the, the promised land. The second generation, the first generation they're dead, and I, I could say the bulk is dead, but they're dying because here you have Moses giving his final discourse. And he says this in verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God. Remember, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I have to emphasize the beginning of wisdom. I'll say it again. The beginning of wisdom. I'll even say it again. The beginning of wisdom. You see? We're, we live amongst many stupid people, many stupid people. And I say that with all love and respect, but you have to admit we live among a plethora of stupidity. And you say, whoa, why do you got to say it like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll say it like Paul. We live among a plethora of idiotes. That's how Paul says it, unlearned, 
And I say that because understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you happen to be in a camp where you are unlearned, as I once was, I tell you this from experience, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Because he's the beginning of wisdom. You see, all these things will be added unto you. You see, and fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I like to see fear of the Lord and love of the Lord as like the brake pedal and uh, the gas pedal in a car. You love the Lord, you gas pedal. But then you come across an intersection and it's a red light or you come across an intersection and exercise caution. But you, you come across an intersection and okay, you got to slow down because you got to look both ways to make sure you're good to go. Now, in order to do that, you have to hit the brakes. If you have no brakes and you just on the gas, then you're putting yourself at risk. That's if you're in the car by yourself. But if you have others in the car with you, loved ones, family, spouse, children, you have loved ones with you. And if you don't have the brakes, you're putting yourself and those with you in harm's way. And that's what a lot of times you see among Christians. They only have gas pedals. No brake pedals. You see, and I like to see the fear of the Lord as the brake pedal and the love of the Lord as the gas pedal. You see. And so we continue here that you may fear the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. I have to emphasize that. And I don't emphasize it to like, you know, uh, beat anyone over the head. But I say it to make this emphasis on the fact that we are to grow and mature in Christ. You see. And it's like, it's not even preschool. If, if, if there were a prerequisite to preschool, spiritually speaking, it would be fear of the Lord. I mean, now hearken to our studies in First and Second Corinthians, growing and maturing in Christ. The very beginning, prerequisites to preschool, spiritually speaking, is fear of the Lord. And then once you have that, all these things will be added unto you. And, you know, we see in our study through 1 Corinthians how the Lord adds the gifts of the Spirit. The greatest being love. You see? There we go. Another example of fear or fear of the Lord and love. You see? The two working together. Gas pedal, brake pedal. And so we continue in verse 2. That you may fear the Lord to keep all his statutes and commandments which... I command you, you and your son and your grandchildren. I love this because he's speaking to the entirety, but then again, he switches to singularity. You remember we studied this a couple passages ago, several passages ago? He switches to singularity. How we looked at, we juxtapose our study through Galatians and even the Corinthian letters, how Paul and Moses and all the servants of the Lord they have this acknowledgement of the concept of whole. They have a concept of leaven or a leprosy. And they have a concept of uh, the remnant. It's very important to understand because this is like a message that is spoken in this discourse of Moses to the entirety of Israel. But then at the same time, Moses understands that 
not everybody's going to grasp this. Not just grasp for an understanding sake. I mean, they're, they're all in an understanding sake. But I mean grasp as to grasp and hold on and retain. And I don't, I, I don't say this to sound harsh or sound mean or to sound abrasive to anybody's soul. But I think every one of us listening, I think every one of us can remember a point in time where we have friends, family, brothers and sisters in Christ where they were on fire for the Lord. They were on fire for the Lord maybe 10 years ago at a mission trip, five years ago singing worship, leading worship in a congregation, 10 years ago uh, preaching the good news and doing all these beautiful things in the name of the Lord and praise be to the Lord. But at the same time, what about today? Where are they today? Are they still doing those things? Are they still advancing in the Lord? Or have they forgotten Him? And when I say I don't say this to sound abrasive, but I can think of people that have forgotten the Lord that are no longer walking with Him. That's just for me. And I know that rings true for me, but I think that rings true for you too. That you know people in your life who are no longer walking with the Lord, as evidenced by, yes, their works. And when I say works, I I mean lack of obedience. Maybe they've turned their, I mean, they've turned their back on the Lord to be in that situation. But maybe they've just said, okay, Lord, I'm done with you. No more. I'm going to go back to the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll, fill in the blank. I'm going to go back to that lifestyle. And understand with this concept of singularity, Moses speaking to the congregation that at the same time, he understands that, yes, in this concept of singularity, everybody has to make their personal choice. Everybody. I mean, even as we continue further in the Old Testament, we're in the last book of the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, the Torah, the last book of the Torah in Deuteronomy. And then we're going to get into uh, further chapters, further books in in the Old Testament. But you're going to see that in the course of time, multitudes, multitudes, multitudes upon multitudes and multitudes forget. Forget. But few remember. And it's among those few where you see the remnant. But it's also among those few where you see prophets. You see how the Lord uses these people. And when in using these people, he says, oftentimes, he says to tell the people, return to me. Tell the people to repent. Tell the people to come back to me. That's what you see among the prophets. You also see it among the apostles too. In the encouragement and warning and the exhortation, Look at our studies through the Gospels, or th- not, not just through the Gospels, but through the epistles. Paul, Moses, or <laughs> Paul and Peter and Jude, the Old Testament, the prophets, Moses, all these beautiful people. Moses in his final discourse saying, remember the Lord, but still understanding the concept of singularity because not everybody is going to grasp Hold on and retain the Lord. But the same thing happens today. 
Not everybody grasps, holds on, and retains the Lord. Thus fulfilling what the Bible teaches, how light came into the world, but people love darkness more than the light. Also fulfilling what we see in Luke 8 about the seed. How, yeah, I'll turn there since I mentioned it, but Luke 8. Open your Bible to Luke chapter 8. And we see here in verse 11. Now the parable is this. This is Luke 8 verse 11. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are those who are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. You see? And then we see this in verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while. Short-term believer. What does that say about once saved, always saved? They believe, praise the Lord. But are they in it for the long haul? Are they in it for the long run? No. Because they believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with the cares, the riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. You see, no maturing in Christ. But the ones that fell on the good ground, I'll say the remnant are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. You see, the New Testament example speaks of this very concept of uh, singularity, how a message is for uh, multitudes, but not everybody grasps it. Remember, you know, you hear us mention from time to time John chapter 6, and in John, cha John chapter 6, when you read John chapter 6, count the numbers. Count the numbers of people. Because at the beginning of John 6, you have thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. But at the end of John 6, you see 12. What happened? One chapter, what happened? Oh my goodness, that's a big, wow, that's a, I mean, that's an, an example of the remnant that we speak of. But you're going to see what happens when you read John 6. Thousands of people. The Lord feeds them. Thousands of people following the Lord. And then when you read John 6, you see the Lord turns around and says to them, you're only following because of the food. You like you, you know, you're, you're, you like the food in your belly and that's why you're following me. And then the people, you know, they were kind of, you know, they had their little feelers hurt. But Jesus knew. You're only following me because you're the food. You like your foods are nice and full. You got food in your belly. You see? But who is the one that's going to take his teachings and, you know, bypass the belly and go right to the heart? You see? Jesus teaches and he gives. And, oh, you're following me just because of the food. That's what Jesus Christ says. And then multitudes, multitudes, multitudes followed him. And when he said that, multitudes, multitudes, multitudes left him. And then we come to the disciples, hundreds of disciples. Even they abandoned him and followed him no more, except 12. And that's what happens when the Lord teaches the truth of God's holy word. Remember, the word became flesh. Genesis to Revelation, the word became flesh. That's what happens with truth. And so this concept of singularity, it rings true then, it rings true today.
that not everybody grasps this. Not everybody, and if they do grasp, not everybody retains. You see? And that's what Moses is doing. That this commandment in verse 2 is for you, your son. So you, you know, it's so powerful when you see this because you, your son, everything's spoken in singularity. What about a parent's ability to influence their children? A parent's ability to be the influencer in a young child's life, male or female, it doesn't matter, you know, a son or daughter. A parent's ability. And I say that plurally. Mom and dad, ability to influence son, to influence daughter. You see? For the son here, influenced by the parent. Now, absent the parental influence, where's, where is their godly influence? That's what's so beautiful about our study through Numbers because remember the son, the, the uh, Korah and his rebellion that he led? But then you read the Psalms and you see, wow, the sons of Korah here. A generation in the lineage of Korah and with that bad influence of Korah who died and those who followed him died. But then in of the sons of Korah in that lineage, you have some that were psalmists. Why? Because they had influencers, yes. But it wasn't Korah. You see? And your grandchildren, he says in verse 2. The influence of grandparents among the next generation, the younger generation. Sometimes people have like crazy influences. You look at, you know, uh, grandparent, grandparent figures, grandma, grandpa. And if they're in crazy town, are they going to be influencers? You see? And yet this concept of singularity, how it rings true today. You and your son and your grandson all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Verse 3, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to observe it. I love this so much because, yes, it's to, it's to do and to, yes, observe, but at the same time, to be careful to do so also includes the guarding aspect. Be careful. Be on guard. Protect your heart. Protect your mind. Make sure that you observe these things that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you. Now, interesting to note here and remember that these promises of the Lord for Israel the formula has to be followed. The formula has to be followed. Remember in our, when we studied numbers, you recall when the Lord says, "Okay, you know, go into Canaan." And, you know, you're going to go and fight these people, go in and take Canaan. And, you know, there was the recon team that went out and they came back and not everybody, but a large majority, they were scaredy cats. They were afraid. And because of their fear, it became endemic in the camp of Israel. And so what happened is the Lord says, okay, you know, because of your fear, now this 11 day journey, it's going to become 40 years. Now, the people heard that. Moses told that to the people, revealed that to the people, what the Lord told him. And then the people says, okay, we, 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 you know, time out, time out, time out. We're going to go into Canaan now. And then the Lord says to Moses, Moses, tell them not to go. Tell them not to go. It's like, wait a second. Did the Lord change his mind? No, the people changed their heart. 
I mean, put yourself in that situation where you're immobilized by fear. Now, if you're immobilized by fear, that is outside of the Lord, and then all of a sudden the Lord says, okay, because of your fear, what was 11 days? Now it's going to become 40 years. Now, upon hearing that, it's like, okay, you make an assessment in your mind. This is carnally speaking now. You make an assessment in your mind. You say, wait, wait a second. I don't, instead of 11 days, now it's 40 years. Now I don't want the 40 years. So now I'm going to do this. Now I'll be obedient. Now I won't be afraid. You see, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work. I mean, that's like negotiating with the Lord. You know, like, okay, Lord, you know, you're, you're giving me 40, but I'll take your 40 and then I'll raise your Canaanites. You know, I'll go into Canaan now. No, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And so a lot of times what happens is that we get this idea in our head that, you know, okay, look at these promises of the Lord. They're so awesome. And yes, we have all these promises of the Lord. Come on, let's go get drunk tonight. Oh, yeah, we have these promises of the Lord and, you know, praise be to the Lord and I love Jesus and all these things. But come on, let's go to the strip club. It doesn't work that way. By our own behaviors, these promises of the Lord can be prolonged and or nullified. You see? That's what happens. You see? I mean, look at the, the promises of the Lord. When I say nullified, yes, absolutely nullified. But remember, the Lord is reactionary. It's a result of disobedience. Disobedience. Because remember, there are people, there are souls who will stand before the Lord one day and say, Lord, Lord, they call him Lord. We did all these things in your name. Look, we cast out demons in your name. We did this in your name. We did this all in your name. And the Lord is the one who's going to respond, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. That's heavy. That's heavy. And I don't say these things to like scare you to the point of uh, to be immobilized. But I guess in one sense, I, I do say this, not that I desire to scare you, but to rock you to the point where we have this understanding and realization of obedience, the importance of obedience, not faith and works in terms of, you know, I got to have 10 converts today or else I'm going to burn in hell. No, faith and works, meaning faith and obedience, because faith without obedience is dead. These are things that we're careful to observe. Now, I'm not advocating the law. It's very important. I'm never going to get tired of saying this. Whenever we look at these Old Testament passages, even more so in the Torah, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, first five of the Bible, whenever we look at these passages, it's very important to do so as New Covenant believers, understanding that these things point to Jesus Christ. Listen to our study through Galatians. You'll understand. It just so happens that we're there on Sundays. If you're listening for the first time, Wednesdays we go through the Old Testament, and when, uh, month, uh, Sundays we go through the New Testament. And so we see here in verse 3, Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be, be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord of you, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you. How beautiful! How beautiful the promises of the Lord are! 
But with the promises of the Lord comes obedience. You see? So the Lord has his promises. Now the question is, are we going to be obedient? I'm not advocating. I'm not saying obedient to Moses, obedient to Jesus Christ. Because remember, Moses wrote about him. Moses wrote about Jesus Christ. Speaking of the promised land, he says a land flowing with milk and honey. There are three things consumed that were never once alive. Three things consumed by man that were never once alive. Milk, honey, and salt. But I'll say this. The salt comes later. <laughs> to those who have ears. <laughs> the salt comes later. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Anytime you see Lord in, in the uh, Old Testament, even the New Testament, you see L-O-R-D in all caps. It's the covenant name, Yahweh. Yahweh, Jehovah. The covenant name. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Elohim, remember, you know, in, the, in, in, in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God, in the beginning, Elohim speaks of the triune nature of God. God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and He is one. People say, wait a second, is it God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit? It's all one. I like to, I like to explain it like a cube, you know, uh, height, or, or yeah, height. Uh, uh, width and depth, you know, it's the, the three aspects to a cube, and yet the cube is one. You see, now we see this in verse five You shall love the Lord your God. No period, no period. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, Remember, I'll say this. Remember in our, in our study in chapter 5, still in Deuteronomy, but in chapter 5, verse 22 of Deuteronomy, says that he added no more. That was, that, that was the law and the statutes. He added no more. The Lord added no more to the law and the statutes. But the additive comes later because to understand that the Torah, the law, and even the statutes, it all points to Jesus Christ in chapter 5, verse 22, he added no more to the statutes, but more was coming. Remember, the law was made with loopholes. The law was made with loopholes, but for a purpose. And I reference this, and I'll reference it again. In Hebrews 8, in Hebrews 8, verse 6. But now he, speaking of the Lord, has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises for if that first covenant had been faultless what the covenant that we're looking at in deuteronomy the law if that first covenant had been faultless then no place would have been thought would have been sought for a second the law was made with loopholes you see to make room for seeking the better covenant, Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law. And so going back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, and these are the words which I command you today, 
And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You see, it's not not just like uh, 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 for the sake of remembering. Yes, it's to remember, but it's not just, it's it's much deeper. You know, like people remember, uh, you know, uh, academically speaking, they remember certain things. They call to memory, you know, for, uh, uh, different things, what you learn. I mean, I think of like, Jeopardy, you know, I like to watch Jeopardy, you know, I teach from America So if you're wherever you're listening in the world, you might not be familiar with Jeopardy, but it's just it's 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 a game show It's been on TV forever. Well, not forever, but for a long time And people think wow these Jeopardy contestants. They're so smart. They're so smart And I don't really see it as smarts some of them, you know, they're, they're smart but the ability to recollect you know that that there's a degree of um, smarts you could say but i don't really see it as you know smart there's a degree of that the, the ability to recollect it's that's one thing but there are deeper aspects you see because to recollect that's kind of easy but to actually do that's where difficulty comes into play. You see? It's, it's, I mean, like, like a Jeopardy contestant, you know? It's like, okay, this guy, this gal, uh, recollects XYZ and, you know, playing the game show, but then it, is he or she a brain surgeon? Is he or she an astrophysicist? Is he or she a, you know, a, 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 a chemist? No. Well, sometimes they are. <laughs> But to recollect, that's there's important aspects of recollecting. But once you recollect, now what? Now what? You see? So it's, it's much deeper. It's to remember these things that Moses in his final discourse telling this generation, hey, remember these things, remember these things, remember these things. And yes, there are aspects of where the multitudes at this present time, they remember, but then in the course of time, more and more and more and more are going to forget, you see. And even when we get into future books and future passages, there are groups that remember, but there's no doing, you see. That's why we say it's much deeper. That's what Moses is saying here in verse 6. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. These are in your heart, you see. And remember, this is the law. I'm not advocating you the law in any way, shape, or form. Because as New Covenant believers... We are a people who understand that the law is a shadow of Christ, Jesus Christ. And when it's held in the heart, and you're going to see people in the Old Testament, even New Testament, these things are held deeply in their hearts, such as, I mean, look at Hannah. When the high priest thought she was crazy, her own husband thought she was crazy. The high priest thought she was drunk, and yet she was praying to the Lord. You see, so the high priest had the, the jeopardy knowledge, but he didn't have the heart knowledge, like Hannah. You see, he says this in verse 7, you shall teach them. I love this so much. 
You you shall teach. Let's pause here for a moment. You shall teach. Remember in chapter 4, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 14, Moses says, the Lord commanded me to teach. Now, he's saying to this next generation, or the second generation, he's saying to the younger generation, now it's your turn. I taught you, now you teach. You see? Moses is going to be, Moses is dying. He knows he's going to die. He knows he's not going to the promised land for his own disobedience. Now, I want to say, take that with a grain of salt. And I don't mean to minimize what is happening here in the word. But when I say take it with a grain of salt, uh, uh, spiritual salt. (laughs) Because Moses was at the transfiguration. Don't forget that. You shall teach. Moses says in chapter 4, verse 14, the Lord commanded me to teach. And now that the people have this understanding, now you teach them. Now it's your turn. You see? You shall teach them diligently to your children. Not not just teach, you know, just as Moses says in verse 6, these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. That's a choice. Some people put it in their brain. Some people put it in their heart. You see? You say, well, wait a second. If it's in the brain, it's horrible. There's head knowledge, but then there's heart knowledge too. Uh, Just look at, uh, to make this distinction between head knowledge and heart knowledge, look at uh, Eli and Hannah. That's what I mean. Eli and Hannah. Eli had the head knowledge. No heart knowledge. You see? Hannah had the heart knowledge. And look how well it was with her. And not just her, the next generation. <laughs> you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You see how beautiful this is? You shall teach them like constantly to your children. Now, I have to say this, not to get on the, uh, you know, sidetracked into, you know, other passages that we've studied already and that we will continue to study. But if you're unequally yoked, you won't have this. You won't have this. I've spoke to married people, married couples, you know, and in these married couples, you know, usually the dad's a mess, you know, and sometimes the mom's a basket case. I guess, you know, basket case and a mess, it's kind of one and the same. But sometimes you have a, a, a wife who desires to teach the kids, but then you have the dad that is going off and hang, going to the bar with his friends, going to the bar with this and doing all these crazy things. And, okay, there's an unequally yoked. There's an un- aspect of being unequally yoked. Or to talk with guys and they say, oh yeah, you know, I'm going to marry this girl. I'm going to marry this girl. So, okay, you know, is she a Christian? No, 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 she's Catholic. Well, come on, it's a... Self-inflicted. These are these are self-inflicted. You see? To have a guy tell, you know, I was speaking with the guy once. He says, oh, you know, she's a Catholic, you know. But look at her. She He pulls out his phone. He says, oh, look at her. Like what she looks like is going to change everything. Stupid. And to speak with, you know, Catholics and Catholics who are unequally yoked. You have a Christian, former Christian, I could say, and is now Catholic. And to have this desire to 
raise his son in the Lord, in Jesus Christ. But because of his unequally yoking, now the kid is, you know, does the catechisms and does the masses, all these different things. It's like, wait a second. There's this, did you forget? Did you forget? With unequally yoking, you won't have things like this. So what's the remedy? Don't be unequally yoked. It's pretty simple. It's not hard. Don't be unequally yoked. You see, the Lord teaches us. He shows us. And it's so powerful because, you see, the next generation, the progeny of faith, the lineage of Christ, the lineage, I'll say, of Abraham, because by faith, you know, the, the problem, heirs of Abraham, by faith and through faith, you see? Now, what is Moses saying? You remember, Moses wrote of Christ. What is Moses, Moses saying here? In verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now, you see the among the Orthodox Jews, what happens is that you see sometimes they have these uh, uh, boxes on their head, you know, and they have these uh, 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 bindings on their wrists. Well, because they take this literally, you shall bind them on your uh, 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 as a sign on your hand, and you shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Because they follow the, they follow Moses, they follow the Torah. Now, if you're Jewish, I want you to know that I love you, and understand that yes, there is a Messiah, and yes, the Messiah is coming. But I'll say this again: the Messiah is Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Son of David, not. Uh, 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 two messiahs one messiah two comings you see in verse 9 you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates so it shall be no notice here it's a future event it shall be remember moses is is an old man he's old and he's dying so it shall be a future event for this second generation when the Lord your God brings you to the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. Now, by faith, these are what was received to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These were received by faith. But now for this generation, the second generation that's passing into the promised land, for this second generation, now it's their walk. You see what's so powerful about this lineage of faith? And this lineage of faith, it's still going today to include those in Christ because by faith, we are heirs of Abraham. And I speak to you as a new covenant believer in Jesus Christ. You see? And this is speaking of a promised land, but we also have a promised land. It's called paradise. You see? And in order to get to paradise, that first generation in us, born into Adam, must die. Must die, you see? And you must be born again to pass into the promised land, which is paradise. Now, if you're not a believer, God loves you. God loves you. 
in these last days. It's so crazy because I've, I've spoken to atheists and in very recently having these long conversations with atheists who have no idea about Bible prophecy. And these atheists, their hearts are getting softer and softer and softer and softer. And Lord willing, will become Christians to see these people as my brothers and sisters in Christ, hopefully soon. The harvest is plentiful. It's the workers that are few. If you're unbelieving, look at the world today. Look at the things that are happening today. And all these things, prophetic, prophetic. Yes, the Bible says times of sorrows. Yes, the Bible teaches perilous times. But at the same time, the harvest is plentiful. And if you're listening and you're not a believer and you see this world in chaos, it is prophesied. It is prophesied and it's going to get worse. Now, you say, wait a second, I thought you were going to like give like a, a message about good news and you're talking about chaos and, you know, the world being destroyed and all these things. Yes, absolutely. Because we understand what the Bible teaches prophetically. And I like to say to people, get in the ark. Get in the ark, capital A. Jesus Christ, abide in him. And if that's you, and you want to get in the ark and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, hit pause right now and listen to the message how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. You commit your life to Jesus Christ and then come back and listen. And we listen and we grow together. We continue on in our journey together and we grow together and together passing into the promised land one day. But I'll tell you this, that passage into the promised land, it's sooner today than it was yesterday. It'll be sooner tomorrow than it is today. You see? One day, you, you wake up, not in the boat. You go to bed in the boat, in the ark. Praise be to the Lord. Let today be the day of salvation. And so we see this in verse 10, continuing in verse 10 about the, the, which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities, which you did not build. Now, what do any of us have from God that we ourselves brought about? I'll give you the answer. Nothing. Nothing. And I tell you this from experience. Everything that I've attempted to build of my own doing, I've brought myself to ruin. I tell you from experience. But when the Lord has built it, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I've had it both ways. I don't say these things to you to say, hey, you do it like this, you do it like this, you do it like this, and then I go do crack. No, that would be hypocrisy. No, I say these things to you because I've been in these situations. I've built, I've done my fair share of building, and I have tasted of those fruitless deeds. But then I've tasted of the Lord as well, and His way is better. I tell you these things from experience. You see? 
And what happens here, what's happening here is Moses is explaining these things to this second generation. And look at what God does. Look at the handiwork of God and what God desires. Houses in verse 11, full of good things, full of good things, which you did not fill. Hewn out wells, which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. You see, Old Testament and New Testament, the richness of God's blessings always require obedience. And it's true that the rain falls on the righteous and the wicked, but I say the richness of God's blessings always, 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 always require obedience. Outside of obedience, yes, God's grace falls on the righteous and the wicked. But at the same time, to have this understanding of the richness of his blessings, his goodness. You see? And now comes a little warning that Moses is giving to the people. And the warning is this at the end of verse 11. When you have eaten and are full, so the bellies are nice and fat, nice and plump. In verse 12, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You see, remember, 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 remember. And that's what Moses is saying to the people. Remember, 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 remember. That's what the prophets say to Israel, uh, an Israel who has forgotten. That's what the prophets say to a Judah that has forgotten. Remember, 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 return to me, saith the Lord. In verse 13, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his presence. Now, remember, as new covenant believers, as new covenant believers and abiding in Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law, it's he is the one. It's his words which say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We don't study the law. We don't study the Torah so that we can perform these things of the Torah or of the law. But we study these things understanding that abiding in Christ, the fulfillment of the law, he is the one where there is no law, I'll add. Listen to our study through Galatians and you'll understand. Or, you know, we're presently there, but get yourself caught up in our studies in Galatians and you'll understand. The law is not made for a righteous person. Righteousness cannot be achieved outside of Christ. We just studied that on Sunday. It just so happens that we studied that on Sunday. And so abiding in Christ, the fulfillment of the law, understand that the law is not made for a righteous person. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'll read it. Verse 9. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 8, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. You see? What's the purpose of the law? Remember, the law is a tutor, a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Once you are in Christ, once we are in Christ and abiding in him, no law. The law is there. The law is still holy, but we're not under a tutor. Because we're in the fulfillment of the law, Jesus Christ. Make sure you listen to our study through Galatians. It's very, very, very important. Even, you know, it's it's always important. But even so now in these last days, because there are a lot of people who speak on things on which they ought not to speak. And they pervert the truth. 
They pervert the truth in order to get people out of Jesus Christ and into the law where there is death. And such people are called servants of Satan. And yet we, as New Covenant believers, we see these things. We see the warning that Moses has for the people. Hey, remember the Lord. Because, you know, when your bellies are nice and full, as is written in chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6, your bellies are nice and full in verse 11. He says, then beware. Lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord. You shall, you shall, uh, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him. And you shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods. The gods of the peoples who are all around you. Influencers. Who are those people who are around you? I don't care where you are in the world. Where, you know, Africa, Asian countries, Russia, the Middle East, America, South America, Europe. I don't care. I mean, I care, but I don't care. I care because I love you, but I don't care because this same word that we study, it applies to you. We're just passing by. We're just sojourners. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. What about all those people around you? The people around you, all around you. Wherever it is that you are. What is their influence upon you? Are they of the Lord? If they're of the Lord, you know, praise God. But what about if they're not of the Lord? You see? Remember our study in Corinth? A big problem, one of many problems, was instead of the church going into the world, the world went into the church. Corinth came into the church. Corinth is Corinth, remember? How many times did you hear us say this? Corinth is Corinth. But what happens when Corinth came into the church? You see? And we have Corinth all around us. Literally, figuratively, spiritually. We have Corinth all around us. What is that ability, their ability, that person's ability to influence you and your children? You see? And yet, the word says here, you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. Now, when I say we have these forms of Corinth all around us, listen, if people want to chase after whatever they want to chase after, that's their business. They're going to stand before the Lord. You see? But at the same time, you don't have to run after those things. A person wants to be sex, drugs, rock and roll. You don't have to follow. You follow Christ. We follow Jesus Christ. You see? And it's so beautiful because you see this remnant. Old Testament and New Testament. You see this remnant that goes against the flow of culture. You know? As the saying goes, dead fish go with the flow. Emphasis on dead. Dead fish go with the flow. But who are the ones who go against the flow of culture? Culture is going one direction. People who are caught up in culture, the Corinthian way, so to speak. Yeah, that, that's them. But what about you? You don't have to do that. 
And you don't do that. Why? Because you're standing firmly on the rock of salvation, which is Jesus Christ. And don't forget, we have our fishing poles. We have our fishing poles. You see? We have our shields, we have our swords, and we also have our fishing poles. The ability of these outside influences to get a hold in people's lives is very powerful. And here we are in Deuteronomy 6, and it's like, wow, this is so beautiful. And absolutely it is. But don't neglect this ability. Don't forget this ability of outside influences to influence. We have to remember. Our walk with the Lord, is it's, it's, it's for today, but it's for tomorrow. It's for next year. It's for next decade. It's for until our last dying breath. It's not short term. We're in it for the long haul till we die. And remember, you know, oh, death, where is your sting? He says this in verse 15, For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to like, you know, chuckle in, in, in saying that. But I mean, keep in mind that we're, we've just studied some hardcore passages in Exodus, in Leviticus, and Numbers. We've studied some hardcore passages before the giving of the law, during the giving of the law, and after the giving of the law. And this second generation to whom Moses speaks, they are well aware of God's chastisement and his judgment and his wrath. They are well aware. And understand that obedience can be learned vicariously as well. I mean, I grew up with brothers. And there were times when my brothers would do bad things. And I dared not do those bad things based on my dad's discipline upon them. You know? I'm, like, I'm glad it wasn't me. In a lot of cases, I'm glad I, I didn't get caught. But I would see my dad discipline my brothers and then at the same time, I would be like, whoa, I'm glad that wasn't me, but I'm not going to do that. I learned vicariously, you see. And what about Christians? We can learn vicariously when you see how the Lord deals with disobedience, when people are reaping what they have sown, not to lose our compassion, to yes, be compassionate and to have sympathy and empathy to absolutely have those things. But at the same time, we can learn vicariously like, wow, wow, this is devastating. Look, this guy, this gal, this family, they're reaping what they have sown. Whew. Not like a glad it wasn't me kind of thing, but like a, I'm, I won't dare touch those things that they touch. I won't dare dabble with those things that he dabbled with. I won't dare touch those things that she touched. No way. And we learn obedience vicariously. And that's what's so powerful because the second generation, they're well aware of how God works. And so when Moses says here, you know, the, the Lord, in verse 15, the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. They're well aware of what the Lord did to Korah and those with him. They heard the screams. They heard the shouts. They're well aware of the plagues that came in the camp. Remember? 
and in the the uh, the at the spear was uh, a spear was uh, 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 put through those of disobedience they're well aware of this and they 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 have learned and are learning obedience vicariously just like you can just like we can you see never to lose sympathy empathy or compassion Yes, absolutely, holding on to those things. But at the same time, we see passages where it's like, you know, the Lord, you know, when we understand the concept of singularity, how the word goes forth to multitudes. But do the multitudes obey? No. I mean, I don't even need to say that. We know it. We see it. Also understanding, prophetically speaking, that judgment comes first in the house of God. You see? What does that mean? When the Bible teaches that judgment comes first in the house of God, everybody speaks, oh yeah, we're in the last days and look at all these things. And you know, you have the pre-tribbers like, oh yeah, the imminent return of Christ. Now, I don't teach pre-tribulation rapture theory because it is a theory. And I know that's shocking. That might shock you. And if that shocks you, I love you. But we have these other messages. Some are kind of old, but you're going to have to search for it. Listen to the message. There's two messages. Uh, One is about Jacob's trouble. And then the next one is when is the rapture? Make sure you listen to those two messages and you'll understand why we do not teach a pre-tribulation rapture. But everybody's saying, oh, we're in the last days. We're in the last days. And I firmly believe we're in the last days. Firmly believe that we're at the very cusp of the beginning of the final seven years. At the like, you know, people say, "Oh, the imminent return of Jesus Christ." No, the 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 imminent, imminent establishment of the 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 beginning of the final seven years that we're at the cusp of like, okay, boom, the clock is ticking now. I mean, I'm not saying that now, but like, when it happens, uh, Daniel chapter nine prophecy, the beginning of the final seven seven years of world history, it can happen very soon. Very soon, and I mean, like in you know this, uh, the date of this message is in uh, uh, in in twenty twenty one, and I'm talking like it can happen in twenty twenty one, the beginning of the final seven years. No, I say that like it could emphasis on it could the Lord could tarry, but there's a lot of prophecy happening today, the converging of all these different prophecies. Oh, it's happening. But yet, at the same time, to have this understanding that, yes, we're living in these last days, but at the same time, to remember and know that judgment comes first in the house of God. You see? What does that say about the church? The church has to be straight up crazy in order for that passage to come to pass. And it will come to pass. But the church has to be in crazy town. In order for, you know, judgment comes first in the house of God. Everybody, oh, yeah, God's judgment is here. You know, the, 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 the rapture is imminent and all these things. Look at these signs of the times and look at this and look at that. And yes, we are living in the last days. You can, it's, I mean, I've talked to atheists. Atheists have approached me and asked me, hey, are, you know, like, are these the last days? Is this what you've been speaking about? Is this what you're talking? Yes. Yes. But don't forget, judgment comes first in the house of God. The last day's church, remember, has four categories. 
It's either false, it is apostate, it is entering apostasy, or it is true. Those are the four categories of the last day's church. Now, choose. Where do you want to go to church? I mean, I, I want to go to one that's true. I teach from one, you know, that's true. But at the same time, the truth is not to get on a high horse and say like, oh, wow, look how awesome we are. It's to be firmly grounded on the rock of salvation. We teach the truth of God's holy word, even when it hurts. You see? And I love how Paul says, if we, even an angel, teaches anything from what, then what you have learned, let him be anathema. And I say the same to you as well. If we teach anything which you have not received, let us be anathema. Because on the rock, Jesus Christ, Genesis to Revelation, the word became flesh. It's in him that we stand. You see, the last days are no joke. I mean, it's it, it, not we can the only preparation that we can have for the last days is to store oil and the Holy Spirit will guide. That's the only way. Uh, carnally speaking, nobody can be prepared for what's going to happen. Nobody can be prepared. That, now that's carnally speaking. Spiritually speaking, we can be prepared. But it is coming. And don't forget that judgment comes first in the house of God. In verse 16, you shall not tempt the Lord, the Lord your God as you tempted him and Massa. Whoa. Now, turn with me to Exodus 17 because we're going to see what happens here in Exodus 17. A little, a little refresher course. If you've been walking with us for a while, a little refresher course. In Exodus 17, verse 1, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim. Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people contended with Moses. And, you know, this is to murmur and complain, something that was very commonplace in this first generation. And said, give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you grapple with me? That's how it translates in the Hebrew. Why do you tempt the Lord? This is what Moses, you know, Moses is reflecting back on this historical moment from Exodus 17 and saying it to this second generation. Don't tempt the Lord, he's saying. He's saying that from a position of experience of the people and being with the people who tempted the Lord. And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt? Very interesting. No acknowledgement of the Lord. Immediately they forget. Like, oh, it's the Lord that brought you up out of Egypt. And then they contend with Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. You see? Not recollecting that it's the Lord that brought them. See, maybe they had the head knowledge before. But without heart knowledge, what happens? They forget. They forget, murmuring and complaining. Oh, Moses, you brought us out here to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. We're thirsty. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. See, 
That's how, that's how palpable this angst was against Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people and take care and, and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb and you shall strike the rock. Remember, Paul says that rock was Christ. You shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa, which translates as tempted. That's what Moses is saying to the second generation in our study in Deuteronomy. And Meribah, because of the contention of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Whoa. That's what happens with head knowledge versus heart knowledge. Head knowledge is good, but it's temporary. Heart knowledge is beautiful. And it lasts, you see. And the people forgot. Now, it's very interesting to remember that this first generation, they're dead. They're dead. You see? And remember, they, they said to Moses in verse 3, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Now, this first generation dead, dead. And to the second generation, Moses is recollecting and referencing this moment of history to say, hey, don't do this. In Deuteronomy 6, go back to Deuteronomy 6 now. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. You see? As your parent, I mean, remember we're 40 years, dead, 40 years plus deep now. Remember, the 11-day journey became 40 years. Some of these of the second generation were children. You see? You should not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in mass at the murmuring and complaining. You shall diligently keep. Remember, in, 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 in verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. But don't forget, that's not to exclude them from being the doers. The, the, these commands of the Lord, they're diligently taught, yes, to the children. Yes, absolutely. But at the same time, that's not excuse to, you know, permit disobedience. No, it still has to happen. You, you still have to be a doer yourself. You see? It just, it blows me away so much. You know, a hardcore message to parents too. That you have to teach your kids diligently the, the things of the Lord, the word of God. Don't use youth leaders as like an excuse to, you know, sometimes people, parents, they use the youth leaders in the church as like a babysitter. Oh, here, you know, you teach my kid, you teach my kid. No, the youth leaders should supplement those things that are taught by the parents. Never to, I mean, if there's replacing, that means that, that reflects, that's, that reflects on bad parenting. If it's replacement, you see? But a youth leader, what happens nowadays, parents rely on the youth leader, the youth pastor. They rely, wait a second, the youth leader, the youth pastor should supplement what you're teaching at home, parent. That's what should happen. 
And it's so powerful because it's not an excuse. You know, in, in verse 7, you shall, you shall teach them diligently to your children. It's like, okay, kids, this is for you. This is for you. I'm going to go get crazy now. This is for you, kids. I'm going to go do my drugs, my sex, my alcohol. No, that doesn't work that way. You teach, you also do. In verse seven, 17, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God. His testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. I'll say this. This might seem kind of abrasive. But who cares about people? And I say that. Remember, we're supposed to love God and love people. Love God and love people. And love people is always secondary. It is never, never, never primary. It's not the preeminence of people. It's the preeminence of Jesus Christ. And we love God and then we love people. You see? And when I say like you got to forget people, because I'll say it another way. Forget Corinth. Don't let Corinth influence you. Don't let this world influence you. You're going to have all kinds of people around you. Maybe not even friends. Of course, you're going to have the friends around you. You're going to have family. You're going to have, you know, relatives. You're going to have neighbors. You're going to have co-workers. You're going to have people that you meet. You're going to have all these people. But what is it? Are they with the Lord? Are they with the Lord? If the answer is no, don't let them influence you. Don't let them. Look at Corinth's ability to influence the saints in Corinth. You could look at Corinth and you look inside the church and you say, wow, there's not a lot of difference here. I look at the church and it looks exactly like Corinth. Look at today. I look at the church. I look at the world. Can you see a difference? A lot of times, no. But you can look deeper. Look deeper into Corinth and you can see Chloe. You can see Chloe's house. Look at the church today, but deeper and you can see Chloe's house. You can see the Chloe's. You can see the Timothys, the Loises, the Eunices, the Aquila, the Priscilla's. You can see them. A remnant. People who are doing what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. Yes, they love people, absolutely love people, but they love the Lord first. And when Corinth goes to crazy town, you don't go into crazy town. When the world goes into crazy town, you don't go into crazy town. He says this in verse 18, that it may be, that it may be well with you and that you may go in and possess. Go in and possess translates to inherit and succeed. That's God's heart. He, he doesn't, he, he doesn't want the people to go in the promised land where the promised land is going to be torture for them. People to go into the promised land where it's going to be harmful to them. He wants good things. He wants good things. But now, calls into question obedience. You see? And you're going to see things that happen with Israel. Beautiful things and bad things. And now with this backdrop, this base plate, remember we studied this in Exodus and Leviticus and how many times did you hear us say, now that we have this base plate and we have an even bigger base plate of the Torah, you're going to understand why God does what he does. Old Testament, and even New Testament. You're going to understand why God does what he does. Because remember, he's reactionary. 
He responds to obedience and he responds to disobedience. And yet even still, the Lord wants good things for his people. The question is, will we be obedient? Will I be obedient? Will you be obedient to him? Not to Corinth, not to the world, not to crazy town, to the Lord. You see? And he says this in verse 18, to cast out, he says, uh, to possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers, to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. You see? And in the Old Testament, and even the New Testament, we're going to see passages where the enemies are at the doorstep. Enemies come into the camp. We're going to see these things and we're going to understand why. We're going to see the obedience of Israel. We're going to see the obe- the obedience of Israel. We're going to see the disobedience of Israel. And not just Israel, but in individuals. We're going to see their choices that they make. Some honor the Lord, some dishonor the Lord, and some dishonor the Lord. And then with repentance, you see the Lord is honored once again. And we're going to see how the Lord responds. This base plate of the Torah. It's beautiful to have as new covenant believers. It's beautiful to have for our all of our studies in the Old Testament, but all of our studies in the New Testament as well. In verse 20, when your son asks you, when your son asks you in the time in time to come, which is a future in time to come. This is a future event saying what is the meaning of the testimonies? Pause here for a moment. You see how beautiful this moment right here, which is a future event, which Moses, he's an old man. He's dying. He knows that he's not going to the promised land. He knows that the second generation, they're going away. And he's saying, when, you're, when your son asks you in the time to come, which is a future event, what is the meaning of the testimonies? Do you see how beautiful this moment is? This next generation, they're asking, inquiring that, you know, children are so inquisitive, so inquisitive, and it's beautiful. But when the kids come and say, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord, our God has commanded you? So the kids come there. Why? Why? This is hardcore message to the parents, too, because Parents, these are pivotal questions in the life of a child. Now, your obedience can be seeds for them. The next generation of righteousness, the seeds that a parent sows sows into their kids. Seeds of obedience. When, hey, mama, papa, why do we do this? Why, you know, why do we open the Bible? Why do we go to church? Why do we study this? Why do we pray? Why do we do this? Now, a little child might not understand, but they see the obedience of a dad, the obedience of a mom unto the Lord. And the kid's going to ask one beautiful day, what is the meaning? Why do we do this? Why do we do this? And faith can blow up like a rocket ship. Faith can take off like a rocket ship. One of many beautiful attributes of obedience. Now, I'll say this. Disobedience can also be a seed. A rotten, nasty seed. But disobedience can also sow seeds. I mean, you know, a child comes to you. Mama, Papa, why do we pray? Why do we do? Why do we read our Bible? You say, baby girl, this is why. My son, this is why. 
But what if baby girl comes to you, hey, mom, why are you crazy? Why are you a basket case? Hey, dad, why do you do crack? Hey, dad, why do you go to the strip clubs? You see, seeds of disobedience can destroy a child. You see, then we get into millstone type of, you know, teachings, which the Lord himself gets gives an alternative to those who cause little ones to go astray. The Lord himself teaches a beautiful, beautiful passage about the millstone, parents. You see? Your obedience, parents, can be beautiful, beautiful building blocks for the next generation. When your son, when your daughters come to you, why do we do this? Why do we do this? Why is it that we do this? You see, in verse 21, then you shall say to your son, a future event. Remember, verse 20 is a future event. When your son asks you in the time to come. In verse 21 is another future event about responding. Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. You see, past are often, very often, very ugly. And when the child says, hey, mama, papa, why do we do the What's the meaning of the testimony, the statutes, the commandments, the judgment? What was the meaning? You respond like, okay, well, you know, well, we do it for the Lord. We do it for Jesus. We do it for... Don't forget the ugly too. Don't forget the ugly. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. Oof, that's the ugly. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. What about the Pharaohs today as a type of Satan? I was a slave, baby girl. I was a slave, my son. This was my slavery. And the Lord. And the Lord. You see? He's the one. He brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, full and total acknowledgement of the Lord and his hand. All glory to him. In verse 22, And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe, against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Then he brought us out from there, that he might that he might bring us in. So, so you see, in, in the beginning of verse twenty three, he brought us out. He might bring us in. You see, the Exodus and the Insodus, so to speak. That's not a word. I'm just saying that Exodus and Insodus. You see, the exit and the entry. He brought us out from there. That he might bring us in, to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. It's a promise. Yes. A promise to the fathers, yes. But don't forget that he says that he might bring us in. Might is a biggie. Because now the ball's in your court, Israel. You see? Remember, the first generation, they're dead. They're dead. You see? A lot of times people, they lean on the promises of the Lord which isn't a bad thing at all. I mean, I love leaning on the promises of the Lord. 
But the formula has to be right. Because am I, can I lean on the promises of the Lord if I'm a crackhead? You see? No, I'm supposed to come out of that lifestyle. Abide in Christ. And then while abiding in Christ and He in me, that's the formula by which anyone, anyone can lean on the promises of God. And not another Jesus that the servants of Satan present. Amen. Hearken to our study through Galatians and 2 Corinthians. How the preacher guys come in speaking another Jesus in accordance to another spirit and they present a different gospel. Everything is faux. It's fake. And people, oh yeah, I abide in Christ and Christ in me. Well, wait a second. That's a different Christ. It must be the Jesus of the Bible. The word became flesh. It must be him. Genesis to Revelation, the word became flesh. And when we abide in him and he in us, then we can lean on the promises of the Lord. And it is safe. We have the assurances of the Lord, his promises. You see, the formula has to be, remember the blue juice and the puff of smoke? has to be, everything has to be, follow the formula. You see? And the Lord gives it to us. The Lord teaches us. He shows us. He doesn't say here, go out in the wilderness and figure it out yourself. No, he, he teaches us gently. He pours into us gently. He shows us the way. In his son, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Those are his words. I'm just the messenger. You see? And so we see this that in verse 23 that he brought us out of from there that he might bring us in that he might to give us the land which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always. Now, for our good always, this can be difficult to understand with with disobedience, with lawlessness, with wickedness, then the statutes, they become difficult. And I'm not, I'm not advocating the law when I say the statutes. I'll say the precepts found in the word of God. This concept becomes difficult to understand with lawlessness and with disobedience. And I say this with experience because I've walked with Jesus or I walk with Jesus and I've walked without Jesus. I've, I've been in life both ways. And when I was without Jesus, you know what my mindset was? Too many, too many rules. Too many rules. If I if I become a Christian, then I can't do this. I can't do that. You know, all wickedness. You know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. I can't do this, 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 this. That's because I was lawless. Wicked. But now, today, whew. you read a passage like this in verse 24 when he says, For our good always now I understand that. Think of a child. I shouldn't say a child. Well, still a child, but a teenager. <laughs> Beautiful teenagers. 
Oh, mom, I hate you. Oh, dad, I hate you. You know, you don't let me do this. You don't let me do that. Oh, I hate you. You're so mean to me, mom. You're so mean to me, dad. You see the teenagers? They're teenagers. They're kids. Not to excuse whatever the, you know, the behavior, but to have this understanding that they, they can't grasp this yet. Most of them, I mean, if you're, you know, if, if you're a teenager and you're abiding in Christ and Christ in you, praise be to the Lord. That's, there, there's, you know, I know 15-year-olds who are more mature than 60-year-olds because of their obedience to Christ. But at the same time, you see these little, you know, teeny bopper excuses. You know, oh, mom, you're so mean. I hate you. Oh, dad, you're so mean. I hate you. You know, never talk to me again. They slam the door shut. It's childish behavior. But they don't have this concept or understanding that, you know, what a parent teaches their children, it's for their good. You know, baby girl, this is for your benefit. You know, my son, this is for you. This is this is to teach you and show you. This is for you. But then later, like when they're, you know, 30, 40, they understand these things. Wow, my dad was just looking out for me. Wow, my mom was just looking out for me. Now I understand you see, that my mom just wanted my good, that my dad just wanted my good. And the same thing applies to us as we abide in Christ. Just as Peter says of Paul, some things are hard to understand. But the Lord is, has shown this to Paul and Paul to us. The Lord has poured into Paul and Paul to us. You see. And that's what's so beautiful about obedience. When you obey the word of God, you obey the word of God. I mean, it sounds cheesy to say that when you obey the word of God, you obey the word of God. But I say that to make a little room for lack of understanding. Which it sounds weird in, in hearing that. I understand. But when you obey the word of God, what happens is that usually down the road, you start to understand deeper. You know, there, there's an immediacy to obedience, but then there's a delay with understanding and it's powerful. And that's, that's how lessons happen. You know, when this concept of singularity, how the word can go forth to a group of people and a group of people Walking and walking and walking together. A group of people walking and walking. And soon that group of people gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And the remnant gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Why? Because what has happened? The same message went forth to the multitude. But not everybody will apply those things to their life. They might have the head knowledge. But there's temporality to the head knowledge. And now comes the heart knowledge where you see the enduring of, in the word of God, obedience to the word of God. And it's in those moments when you can look back and reflect and then you have a deeper understanding. You might be obedient to the Lord today and not understand the deep implications or the have the depth of understanding of what you're doing even though it's beautiful yes absolutely it's beautiful but at the same time usually understanding comes later you see when people start to fall 
doctrines start to fail. Teachings once held, once held strongly, once held tightly, now have to be let go because it was incorrect doctrine or it was a wrong notion it was a wrong rock to stand on you see and yet you continue to obey the lord his word genesis to revelation as taught by his word not taught by you know the study bibles or the grave soakers and when i say the study bibles listen to our message it's called do not take the mark of the beast and you'll understand what we're talking about Because what's happening today is teachers, you know, I'm doing my air quotes, pastors, they're starting to say it's okay to take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. It's unbiblical. These are things which will be exposed in the last days more and more and more and more. This exposure of these doctrines will grow in these last days. And it's beautiful. Because when this exposure happens, people will have a choice to make. I'm going to get on the real rock. See? It's powerful. Powerful. And so we see this in verse 24. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always. It's for your good, Israel. That's what Moses is saying to the people. It's for your good. Look, I mean, this second generation, they are fully aware of the Lord's chastisement, his discipline, his judgment, and his wrath. They are 100% fully aware because they've seen it. They had a, a up close and personal experience with all those attributes of the Lord. And in their passage to the promised land, they have this also this understanding that it's for their good. Now that the ball's in their court, Moses is saying to the people, don't forget. Don't forget, remember these things. Remember him. And just like in verse 14, you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. Don't chase after them. Don't go after them. Look at what the Lord has done for you. He wants your good. It's for your good always. That he might preserve us alive, he says in verse 24, as it is this day. Today. Today is today. And praise be to the Lord. That's how it is today. But what about tomorrow? Remember, we we, we studied that on Sunday. Today is today. But what about tomorrow? What about next week? What about next month? What about next year? What about next decade? You see, and just as we started, we said mentioned earlier in the in the study today, like, you know, you, you look at somebody, you know, and I, we have them all. Or we all have them. People we know. Who are no longer walking with the Lord, who have abandoned the Lord as evidenced by their own behaviors, the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll. And yet. What happened? People who you've heard sing praises unto the Lord. People who you've heard pray and sometimes give sermons, give messages, lead in worship and standing for the Lord and everything's beautiful. But in the course of time, what happens? 
you see. In the course of time, what about next year? What about next decade? I mean, look at Christians in your life 10 years ago. And look at Christians in your life today. You see what I mean? That's what Moses is saying here. Don't forget, guys. That he might preserve us alive as it is this day. And Moses is concerned about their tomorrow. You see, then it will be righteousness for us. Now, pause here for a moment. Remember, righteousness doesn't come through the law. Righteousness comes through obedience. Now, the law is given here. He's speaking about the statutes and the commandments and you know, these uh, the, the, the testimonies and the statutes which the Lord commanded. Speaking of these things, that then it will be righteousness for us. But remember who he's speaking to. This is... Moses, who the law was given to Moses to give to the people, but what about pre-law? Before the law? How was it accounted to Abraham for righteousness sake? Why? Through obedience. You see? In this, in this particular passage in uh, chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, yes, it's with the law. But we must understand that the law is a shadow of the things to come. Jesus Christ. Because righteousness, it doesn't come through the law. If righteousness could come through the law, then Jesus died in vain. That's what Brother Paul teaches. A Pharisee of Pharisees, a student of Gamaliel. You see? Then it will be righteousness for us. If we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. You see? In considering this law, yes, it was righteousness through obedience. Before the law, even still, righteousness through obedience. But what about post-law? And I speak about you and me abiding not in the law but abiding in the law's fulfillment righteousness through obedience you see always 100% of the time Jesus Christ you see we abide in him and he in us a people of the way a remnant of these last days to the beautiful people of the way God bless you I love you.